You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of TheBarkBoard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Reek, being joined, as always, by the publisher of the Barkboard and uh, Jackson Moore. And Jackson, um, I-, I don't know about you, but um, things were a little strange this past weekend uh, <laughs> here at home uh, against Eastern Washington. After a really good game at Purdue, only to come back to a double overtime victory at home against Eastern Washington. Uh, I've got questions, Jackson. <laughs> I've got lots of questions. <laughs> so w- what's your thoughts on, on last weekend's game? Yeah, I'm still catching my breath from that game. Man, it was <laughs> about as tight as you, you could imagine it getting for the Bulldogs. And uh, for a good portion of that second half, I kind of felt like Eastern Washington had really taken the momentum, you know, especially being on the field. I got to share some of that with our VIP subscribers and the insider game notes. You could just see... Uh, especially I was standing on the Eastern Washington side, seeing them kind of jawing at the fans a little bit even, and you know, really not just taking a lead, but letting the Bulldogs know it. And when the fourth quarter began, you could see the uh, the Eagles just you know prancing and exciting and pumped up the crowd on their side of the field and Fresno State kind of walking gingerly over to that side of the field for uh, the fourth quarter to start. I mean, it just felt like, it was getting away, and fortunately, the Bulldogs made some big plays late. Um, they had a chance to close it out in regulation. They did not, and they still were able to come up with the big plays and two overtimes to steal a victory, but that's certainly not expected at all. Um, we talked last week about how this is a proud Eastern Washington team and one that you know, in most years you wouldn't want to schedule. <laughs> it's kind of the, the dangerous trap FCS type of opponent that you just want to stay away from, but this year's team, I mean, coming off a 35-10 loss to North Dakota State in the opener and only winning three games last year, it seemed like there was just no way that they were going to be able to muster up a performance to challenge the dogs. And when you know it, they did. And thankfully, the Bulldogs got out of it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was quite uh, quite the spectacle to take in. I now I was watching this game and 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 really realizing that the the Bulldogs really weren't moving the ball uh and when they were they weren't looking good at doing it and one has to think Jackson if the Bulldogs were really trying to not show too much this past weekend in preparation for Arizona State and it kind of ended up backfiring on them a little bit don't you think Jackson yeah, for me, it almost felt like they kind of took the foot off the gas. They went up 14-3 to rather early, and the way they got there was pretty creative. I mean, right off the bat, they could do the end around to Magdalena. That sets up the first touchdown, and uh, we saw Devin Rivers break a nice run to set up the second touchdown to throw to Jake Baust, which wasn't necessarily one of the go-to plays in the playbook. So uh, it felt like early on they were clicking, and they were doing just about what they wanted. But um after that it really got slow for the offense and a lot of first and second down runs that didn't get very far set up third and longs there was a lot of first and second down sacks and or penalties holdings you know pressures just a lot of second and third and longs and um i felt like they weren't able to stretch the field very well mikey really only connected on one deep ball the whole game which was a touchdown to eric brooks that they desperately needed but it just felt like they didn't really keep Eastern Washington's defense honest. And 
that was surprising to me because they did that so well against Purdue. They eventually scored plenty of points, but uh, what Coach McCann, the offensive coordinator, talked about was he felt the offense got out of rhythm. Um, there was a 21-play drive by Eastern Washington there in the first half. The Bulldogs only had eight snaps in the first quarter, I believe the number was, and even in the second quarter, didn't have a whole lot of possession. So that was what he kind of pointed to, the fact that they just had trouble getting in the rhythm with so few possessions, and then a couple three and outs, and uh, you kind of point towards the end of the game where they did start to put together some scoring drives consecutively, or at least drives that should have generated points when you look at the missed field goal. So uh, you, I think there was just a, a massive lull where the team didn't execute very well, and maybe they did go a little bit vanilla and thought that they could run the ball a little more effectively, but it just it didn't seem to work. No, and that's what I uh, I'm a little little concerned about was not only on offense looking uh, really out of sync, but uh, you know the the defense and allowing as many points as they did to a team that didn't uh, that barely scored ten points last week or the week before, um, and all of a sudden now it it starts to creep into your mind a little bit as to where we are with this defense at the moment. Who, who allowed a lot of points to a Division II team um, heading into an Arizona State team that will take advantage of this blueprint that has now been drawn up by Eastern Washington against Fresno State. Does that concern you a bit? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's probably more about the defense as a whole over two games. Again, the scores are inflated a little bit when you look at Purdue with a special teams touchdown and another special teams play that pretty much set up a touchdown for them. And even this game going into overtime, we got seven extra points that would not have occurred if the game ended in regulation. So it's not as bad as it looks on the final score, but um, I mean, this was a defense that was so good at the end of last year and bring so many players back. And we thought was going to be able to pretty much pick up where they left off. And um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what's not clicking as well. I mean, there's not a lot of sacks coming from this group, but they are getting a lot of pressures. Diva Bridges has gotten like nine or 10 pressures in the first two games. And Isaiah Johnson was one of their best graded players of the entire team, the way that he was in the backfield. Um, Kamari Munir-Braley has been in the backfield quite a bit, but uh, facing two mobile quarterbacks, they haven't been able to get a lot of sacks and especially Vesperis from Eastern Washington. It seemed like they were almost welcoming the pressure so that he could roll out and throw on the run because that was just so successful. Um, I know talking with the coaches this week, I talked with uh, Kevin Coyle, defensive coordinator in the press conference about, you know, is this defense living up to their standards? And uh, I, he, I don't know what to exactly think of his answer just because he f- said he felt the energy's there and that the effort is there and that they're putting in the work during the week. And <laughs> you know, it's just uh, then, then the execution, I guess, is that what you point to? The execution is not quite good enough right now. And then, I talked to J.D. Williams today, uh, just prior to jumping on here, and uh, he seemed a little more frustrated, particularly with what's been going on with the cornerbacks, especially when Cam Lockridge and Carlton Johnson were so good at the end of last year. He was saying, you know, we they still are just as talented as they were last season, but uh, they got to get their confidence back up a little bit and execute better themselves. So I, I think the pieces are there. I think they feel like it's going to be better as the season goes on, but it is frustrating that – you know, it felt like they were going to be pretty dominant right out of the gates, and that just hasn't happened. When you look at Arizona State and this upcoming matchup, 
they also have a mobile quarterback and Jaden Rashada if they do go with him in this game. And so if they wanted to, they could pretty much execute the same game plan Eastern Washington did, just moving Rashada out of the pocket, letting him run a lot and dinking and dunking down the field. Um, but I don't necessarily know if they are going to do that. That's not quite exactly what they're naturally built around. So we'll see if they build a game plan around what Eastern Washington did or if other teams will down the road. I almost worry more about what Eastern Washington's defense did against the Bulldogs' offense because I think that is something that can be replicated throughout the year by other teams without having to change their schematics too much. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a concern because they seem to have figured out how to stop this Bulldog offense uh, something that Purdue struggled with last uh, the the previous week, uh, especially uh, you know in the passing game. Uh, but it seemed like the Bulldogs were really having a hard time getting the ball not only through the air but on the ground as well. Now, granted, the running game has uh, is dinged up at the moment, so you know you give them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt on that end. But the passing game really struggled. Um, Mike, Mikey Keene missed a couple of wide open uh, receivers on deep plays that could have ultimately really changed the feel of this game. So it, it looked like he was out of sync, the receivers were out of sync, and it really didn't help their situation much uh, in this game, did it, Jackson? Yeah, I was a little frustrated by the lack of a deep ball. I mean, there were some attempts to throw it deep that just weren't even catchable or, or were open in the first place to be thrown to to be catchable. And I think Eastern Washington, that's kind of how they came in here. They were saying, if you want to try to beat us deep, do it. Um, I know Keene didn't throw the ball deep a whole lot at UCF. And even in the Purdue game, when he was throwing it long, it was often on the run and not quite, you know, just standing there in the pocket and throwing it deep 30, 40 yards. So I felt like they, just really came up close that dared the Bulldogs to beat them deep and otherwise just tried to create as much havoc as they could for a Fresno State O-line that really struggled in this matchup. I mean, not the greatest pass protection, uh, quite a few penalties, several holding calls in this game. Uh, they weren't able to create much for the running backs either. So, I mean, I think that is uh, those kinds of staple concepts or something that just about any defense can try to implement. So now it's really up to the Bulldogs to try to fix some of those things, get the downfield passing game working a little bit better and make sure Mikey and his receivers are on the same page for those deep balls to at least keep the defense honest. Again, that that's really the difference maker for the Purdue game was that the Bulldogs both threw the ball deep and ran the ball. It just kept Purdue so far off balance where Eastern Washington could really just hone in on a few different things and the Bulldogs didn't have an answer. Yeah, and it's uh, it's definitely something. Hopefully, that the uh, Bulldogs worked on and uh, and are able to kind of get corrected in in the right direction. Now, you mentioned Mikey Keene didn't really throw the ball deep while he was at UCF. That is something uh, that is going to be a blueprint for other teams if they don't start finding a way for him to get comfortable throwing it deep um it's uh really going to shorten up the field if if they don't start stretching the field a little bit for uh defenses when we face them so do you anticipate some of that being kind of pushed a little bit and, and trying to test the defense a little bit more and trying to stretch the field so to speak to to make this offense a little bit more potent 
Yeah, I, I feel like it's something that's correctable because you don't necessarily have to have the best, strongest, most accurate arm to give your receiver a chance on those plays. Uh, I feel like right now the Mikey's deep ball is floating a little bit, and you know, hopefully that is something that they can work on and, and co- correct because I think about when Marcus McMarion was here and you know, there weren't a lot of you know those deep downfield passes like in the style of Hainer or Carr or the other Carr <laughs> over the years. But you know, he was able to just find the one-on-one matchup and throw it deep and see what happens. And Keyshawn Johnson came up with a lot of those passes. Uh, maybe the problem is they don't necessarily have that guy on the outside right now. But I do think between Magdalena's speed and Jalen Moss's overall ability that they'll be able to figure that out. If he can just throw a, a catchable ball that is timed right, that'll be enough to stretch out defenses. And I think there's enough there. But right now we're seeing all of the weaponry for Fresno State is really in the intermediate to medium passing game with the slot receivers and the tight ends. And it's working, and that's great. Um, but to really keep a defense off balance, you do have to have that outside in that deep game. And um, talking with Coach McCann, they are a little concerned about some of the cornerback ability that Arizona State has. So it might be a little bit of a mix this week about how much they can overcome that and, and the particular challenge they're facing with this Sun Devil defense. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that we're going to have to kind of you know, dig into and see what's going on here uh, in, as Fresno State gets ready to take on Arizona State. Uh, there are still other key factors that led to this game going a, a lot closer than it should have. One, one of which the missed field goal by by the kicker at the end of the game, Jackson. That one, kind of a little bit of a head scratcher. There, um, he still continues to struggle on making his kicks. What, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean that was a really the most nerve wracking situation he's been put in so far. Dylan Lynch the be in that spot. Um, you know, he was pretty solid last year, all kind of within 40 yards and um, not a whole lot of high you know, stress situations that he was in. Um, now we've seen at Purdue, he missed this short one with some you know, difficulties. There was the wrong hash and the left hash for him as a lefty and plus the snap and hold wasn't the greatest, but I mean, it's hard to make too many excuses for a missed 21 yarder. Then he hits a 50 plus yarder not long after that. And then you look at this game as well. Um, went two for three. I had some good moments, but game on the line and a makeable 35 yarder uh, to put it away and it doesn't go in. That's, that's tough to, to deal with as a team. I know Abraham Montano has been going through some injury stuff and, I think there's been some talk about once he's ready that maybe he would step into the job or at least have a chance to kind of compete and try to win it back. But uh, until that happens, Lynch is the guy, and you know, we'll see what happens with Montano moving forward. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something that's going to need to get corrected. Um, that that game wouldn't have gone into overtime had he made that field goal, um, but it was just – outside of the upright, uh, which prompted it to go into overtime, into a double overtime where the Bulldogs uh, ended up clinching this one with an interception at the end. Um, but also also concerns Jackson is this running game. Um, and now I know that the uh, couple of players are dinged up. How, how are they looking heading into this, this uh, you know, Arizona State game? 
Um, the big question is Malik Sherrod. He wasn't able to suit up at all against Eastern Washington. And was that maybe because of the opponent they were playing, or was it just simply that he wasn't able to go? Um, or was he going to be a risk at being further injured if he did go out there? So um, we've been out of practice trying to monitor that, had some updates on the VIP board. I don't think it's totally out of the question of him maybe playing this week, and it's not totally out of the question that he may miss several more games. I, it's a little hard to tell exactly where he's at right now. Um, but without him and you know, Damian Moore is injured, the transfer from Cal, I, I don't think he would have necessarily been at one, two, or three on the depth chart, even at healthy. But he, I know he's one that a lot of people have been asking about. He's out too. Um, so that really leaves Elijah Gilliam to carry the flag. You've got Devin Rivers, who's had some snaps. Jonathan Arsenault got some snaps against Eastern Washington in the fourth quarter when that game was still very tight, of course. And uh, Brandon Ramirez is knocking on the door for playing time. So mostly those four guys right now until Sherrod's able to get back. And um, I know Sherrod didn't do much against Purdue, but he was dealing with that injury. And I know there's a lot of high expectations for him once he is a full go and is on the field. So hopefully you know, at some point this running game turns into a nice one-two punch with Sherrod and Gilliam, but right now uh, they got to work with what they got. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely going to be a problem for the Bulldogs. Um, maybe they may have to try and see if somebody further down the depth chart makes uh, an appearance. Uh, I don't know. Time will tell. Let's see what happens heading into this um, Arizona State game. Now, let's go ahead and dive right into it, Jackson. Uh, we've got Fresno State heading to Arizona, and you're going to be in attendance in this one. Uh, so you're going to get a, a sideline view of, of all the action. Um, let's let's go ahead and start breaking it down. Fresno State's offense taking on Arizona State's uh, defense. What do you have on paper here? Yeah, this Arizona State defense is, um, you know, they've had some moments early in the year. They've been, uh, they held Southern Utah to 21 in a weird game that uh, was suspended or delayed for like three or four hours. And they managed to get out. They didn't really give up much to um, Southern Utah, just 139 through the air, 87 on the ground. It just was a weird game that was really close at the end. Um, once they got to Oklahoma State, they hosted them last weekend. That was a game Arizona State was winning 15 to 10 at halftime, lost 27 to 15 by the time it was all said and done. Um, the Cowboys, again, just around 300 yards, not a huge offensive production for them. Um, kind of balanced, a little more in the passing game, a little less in the running game, how most teams are. Uh, so kind of a, a, an overall well-rounded defense that hasn't gotten a ton of help from its offense so far. Um just asking around because the Bulldogs have already played a power five defense. You imagine they'll be ready for anything that Arizona state has to throw at them. But um, one thing that was pointed out was some of the cornerback play from the Sun Devils. They do have some tall, long rangey cornerbacks. And again, that's something that Fresno state has already kind of struggled with uh, Eastern Washington, probably their best player on the entire defense was one of their cornerbacks. And as we saw against Purdue, the Bulldogs had more success throwing inside than on the outside. So might be some of the same here. It might be tough for Magdalena and, and Jalen Moss to get going on the outside against some of those better cornerbacks, but um, the Bulldogs have already fed it pretty well to their interior weapons in, in the slot, and you know, we'll see if they can get the running game going against this group. Um, but, I mean, the, schematically, this Fresno State is fairly similar with what Arizona State's doing because they do have Brian Ward as a defensive coordinator who 
did lead the Washington State defense all year long. He was not with the team when they reached the LA Bowl, but they were running his scheme in that game. So they know a little bit about what they're going to expect. I mean, most of the players on this offense were at least around for the LA Bowl last year to, to get prepared for that. Not Mikey Keene, though, but um, a lot of the players are at least familiar with how the game planned and what to do here. And the Mikey Keene story is an interesting one, too, just because he is from Arizona. He is very familiar with this program. He was not recruited very much by that program. And so uh, he's not really feeding into the discussion very much this week, but you know there's that chip on his shoulder. It's a game he's had circled for quite some time to take on this defense and try to show them what they missed out on both as a high schooler and as a transfer portal prospect. So I expect a motivated Fresno State offense, and it's just a matter of is this going to be the Mikey Keene and the offense we saw against Purdue, or is it the one we saw against Eastern Washington? And I think that'll tell the tale whether the Bulldogs win this one convincingly or end up on the wrong end of it. Yeah, I, I don't want this, this to be a trend where the Bulldogs play better on the road than they do at home. <laughs> I, I've, I've seen those years happen, and they're not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they they play great on the road and then they come home and they lay an egg. Uh, it's yeah, it's not it's not the fun funnest thing to watch. So hopefully they go back to Arizona State and they have a good showing, come away with a win, come back home. Uh, they come back home the next week, don't they? Uh, if I remember yeah, correctly, they'll, they'll be back to back home games. And honestly, Eastern Washington might be better than both Kent State and Nevada, the two teams that come in next. <laughs> So uh, hopefully they don't put us through what we went through this past week. So hopefully when they do come back home, they start to play like the Bulldogs that we're expecting to come out and play. Uh, So uh, let's see if they they keep that trend up heading into Arizona State and just um, really putting it into another gear. So let's see if if they are able to kind of turn it around. Or, Jackson, does this – latest game against Eastern Washington, did it take a lot out of the Bulldogs? You know, I mean, yeah, on paper, uh, at least uh, you didn't expect the starters to play that many snaps and uh, play longer than regulation. So, I mean, there is a little more wear and tear. They got out pretty healthy. There's only one really concern I reported on the VIP board about one of the starters. Otherwise, I mean, came out pretty healthy. So there's not too much of that, at least. Um I think the the messaging we got after the game was that this was a wake up call and that they felt like they had been exposed and that they can't take anyone lightly. So that kind of stuff doesn't translate necessarily to Arizona state, but it definitely will mean a lot when they come home and play Kent state, Nevada, the Bulldogs, no matter what happens this week should be pretty heavily favored in those two games. And now they know that if they perform the way they did against Eastern Washington, they're certainly uh, not good enough to, just skate through. I mean, they can suffer a loss to just about anyone if it could be Eastern Washington. So uh, that's on the back of their minds right now for sure. Yeah, and right now uh, every win counts in the in the new uh, setup for uh, conference uh, conference for the conference championship. Right, so they're they're going to be really trying to make sure they don't lose any games because uh, that's going to help them in the long run. So right now. Uh, we'll we'll take a look at the the Mountain West a little bit later, but right now let's let's go to the flip side of the ball. Uh, we've got Fresno State's defense against Arizona State's uh, offense, and how do they match up? Yeah, um, so Arizona State they're been led by a true freshman quarterback who 
know, even if you kind of just stick with Fresno State and don't pay attention to the national coverage outside of the Bulldogs, you've probably heard this name, Jaden Rashada. Uh, it was a very highly profiled story where uh, he was once committed to Miami and then he ended up committing to Florida and there were supposed to be uh, millions and millions of NIL dollars coming to him and uh, then that broke down and it didn't work out and they were able to get him out of his letter of intent to Florida and then he ends up at Arizona State and uh, on top of all that he is a five-star recruit from right over in the Bay Area in Pittsburgh so um, you know, a good chance that you've seen this name and his face kind of cross your social media feed or uh, the internet at some point and he has started their first two games. There's a chance they might go in another direction. Um, the Sun Devils did bring in Drew Pine from Notre Dame, who was their backup last year and ended up playing most of the season for the Fighting Irish. And uh, they went out and upgraded their quarterback situation. So that meant he went <laughs> looking for somewhere else. So um, Rashada is uh, much more mobile, but obviously much younger and less experienced. Pine has got a lot of experience, but is not too dynamic of an athlete. And, hasn't played with this Arizona State offense in a game before, so we'll see if it does end up being a situation where they try going a different way at quarterback or go multiple quarterbacks or what they do. Um, but Rashad hasn't been bad in two games. He's thrown 34 or 60 for 403 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick. You know, not a lot of mistakes. Um, he doesn't have much to do on the running game so far. They're not designing runs for him, but. He's certainly plenty fast and has some mobility to him. So it all starts with him. Um, but the most important weapons that are really going to dictate what the Sun Devils are able to do are at running back and at wide receiver. At running back, Cameron Scadabo is a, a very impressive player who uh, was just a star at Sacramento State when they went on their big run over the last couple of years and made the FCS playoffs last year. He ran for over 1,300 yards, had another 370 through the air, a five foot ten, two hundred and twelve power back who's fast and dynamic, and uh, he hit the portal this off season and ended up at Arizona State. So now the Bulldogs have to worry about taking him on. Uh, they've also got a very, very talented receiver who I've had the chance to cover in person, Elijah Badger. This receiver, six two, one ninety from Sacramento, he is a, a special receiver. He's just so hard to cover, and very thankfully Fresno State has the cornerbacks they do, even if they haven't played as well as we thought they would the first two games. This is going to be probably the toughest matchup that they're going to face all year as far as uh, covering receivers go. They've added a bunch of transfers to uh, Melquan Stovall is the name that we've seen in the Mountain West at Nevada and Colorado State. Now he's at ASU. Xavier Gilroy out of um, Idaho State is their leading receiver right now statistically and uh, he was a, a pretty high profile transfer. One of those guys that made the jump up from FCS also. So I mean, they've got a handful of weapons and enough to make life difficult for the Bulldogs. But the good news is that two weeks ago, we talked about how banged up Purdue's offensive line was. And I mean, they look like the healthiest group ever compared to Arizona State. I mean, they have just suffered so many injuries on the O-line. There's been, I mean, after the Bulldogs got away with that win against Eastern Washington, I hopped over to our Arizona State 24-7 sports site. And the, pro, the the main feature story on the front page on game night is a picture of an O-lineman in a stretcher. So I mean, that goes to show you uh, what they've been dealing with over there. Um, they've had like five-plus O-linemen go down with injury. Some of them are definitely not available this week. Some of them might come back. So 
Uh, I mean, it could be a stronger O-line than they've had so far. It could be the weakest yet. So depending on if those couple of players are able to line up. So uh, I think the good news is for Fresno State that they're going to be able to cause problems up front, just like they did at Purdue against the, an O-line that's not the greatest amongst Power 5 schools. It's, um, you know, when you're in these matchups, you worry about where the talent disadvantages might be when you're facing the Power 5 school and, Definitely not the O-line. The Bulldogs should be able to make some noise in the trenches. And, you know, you just hope that ripples everywhere else on the defense too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the Bulldogs are really uh, going to have their hands full um, with the with these wide receivers. So hopefully they're going to be able to kind of uh, really clamp down on them and, and really hold their own. Uh, if they play like they did against uh, Eastern Washington, this could be a very long day for them. <laughs> let's just put it that way uh eastern washington was able to do a lot more than i ever thought they were going to be able to do um and that is a huge concern for me for the bulldogs defense uh whether or not they've gone in and made corrections uh we will see coming up this weekend uh, but also Jackson, you know, you got to do the matchups of special teams. Uh, it looks like the Bulldogs special teams is struggling. Um, how are, how is it going to compare with Arizona state? Yeah. You know, you hope the Bulldogs can get that figured out here. They've not been great on punts. I mean, Carson King has, has had some, uh, some shanks early on and that's really uncharacteristic of him. It, didn't see much of that last year, so hopefully that's just an uh, abnormality and he gets back on track. Um, you know, kickoff coverage was much better this week. I noticed they seemed to take some of the players out from the Purdue lineup and replace them with some other guys, so maybe that had something to do with it there on that side of things. Um, the Bulldogs weren't terribly explosive in the return game this past week, so hopefully again that's something that shows up here against Arizona State a little differently, but uh, the Sun Devils, we haven't seen a whole lot of their special team stuff come into play. I mean, last week they didn't kick a field goal at all. The week before, um, just made the one. So uh, it's. I do know they've got a couple of good special teams coaches on that staff I'm familiar with, but uh, they haven't really been tested so far. Um, Elijah Badger, the receiver I talked about, did pull off an 81-yard kick return against Southern Utah, so he's kind of the one concern Maybe he can break a big one. Uh, I'm more concerned about him at receiver than on special teams, but they, they do have that kind of in their back pocket to maybe uh, cause some issues for the dogs right there. Yeah, so, and there you have it. Jackson has now broken down the latest matchup for the Fresno State Bulldogs. Um, you know, the one of the defectors of the Pac-12 heading on to another conference, um, but this will kind of either be a statement for the Bulldogs saying, hey, guess what? We just beat this team going into this big conference or it's going to be like, um, yeah, more of the same. No, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on as of, as far as who is being favored in this one, I believe, uh, Jackson, you did mention Fresno State is still favored in this game. What's the latest uh, line on the on the score right now? Yeah, the Bulldogs are favored. They opened as three-point favorites by um, the odds makers that we typically go with. <laughs> There's, you know, it opened anywhere from about one to three over the Sunday Monday. Um, the 
the Bulldogs have not been favored very often in these types of games on the road against Power 5 opponents. I can only find three other cases since 2000 that that's happened, and two of them were at UCLA, which the Bulldogs won, and so the oddsmakers had that right. Another one was at Washington in uh, 2004, I believe. The Bulldogs took care of business in that game, so they are 3-0 and when they're favored on the road against Power 5 opponents, but Again, obviously, that's been pretty rare. Uh, the line hasn't moved at all uh, since it opened from uh, the three-point line at Caesar Sportsbook. So uh, right now, the you know, it's not going further in Fresno State's direction, but it's not going the wrong way either. So by the time kickoffs ar- arrive, they should still be favored. Yeah, that uh, that to me right there shows that not even Arizona State's fans have much faith <laughs> <laughs> if the line is not moving at all. So uh, that is a great indication of where uh, the uh, the loyalties are lying right now between these two teams. And um, yeah, it's it should be interesting to see if the Bulldogs are are actually going to go ahead and go on the road and and come away with a victory against the power five team but all indications right now are showing the bulldogs being favored even after last week's close win really it has me scratching my head jackson (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think it it says a lot about arizona state i just i don't think this is a very good team uh it's not to say fresno state's going to be able to go in there and automatically win by any means going to be hard they've got a ton of transfers i mean this is one of the transfer heaviest teams in the country if if the bulldogs played last year's arizona state team it probably would have been a cakewalk but this year's team does have quite a bit of talent you know they just have gone through some injuries they haven't quite gelled at this point they have new quarterbacks they're breaking in right before the season starts they have a self-imposed bull ban from what the previous staff did so it's not been a good few weeks for them and I mean, I think as far as power five road games go, this is as favorable as Fresno State could ask for, even more so than Purdue. But uh, they do have to take care of business on the field. And I mean, it just shows also how much Fresno State looked out getting out of that Eastern Washington game with a win. I mean, they uh, didn't lose much in terms of top 25 votes. They're still favored against Arizona State. It's just, it was just enough to where that game will not come back to haunt the Bulldogs, at least, unless. You know, things go take a turn this year, and we say, well, we, we kind of saw this coming after that Eastern Washington game. But as far as the perception goes, the Bulldogs didn't take too big of a hit. Eastern Washington has a lot of name recognition as far as FCS schools go, and um, the Bulldogs are, are okay, I think, if they can just bounce back and, and get back to what they did in week one here against Arizona State. Yeah, this is definitely going to be uh, one of those um, – one of those years where if if they start to falter, everybody's going to be pointing back to that Eastern Washington game. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really going to be a telling story. Uh, but um, as of right now, a win's a win, right, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the Bulldogs haven't been 2-0 since 2013. So it's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> I mean, that's all the good teams Fresno State's had over the last decade. It seems like 2-0 and wouldn't be that big of a challenge, but... Now you typically have a power five road game in those early weeks, and the Bulldogs got that done against Purdue this year. Um, it's just a lot easier said than done, and I, I think there's some resiliency for the Bulldogs to win these two games. These were both games where if you took the logos off the helmets, uh, I mean, it feels like Fresno State's lost a lot of those games <laughs> over the course of the last decade. We talked about it last week, I believe, that 
you know, that Purdue game was one that typically it feels like Fresno State falls short in those close games where there's so many big plays and the Bulldogs, you know, if they give up a kickoff for a touchdown and an 84-yard touchdown, it just feels like they're not able to recover. But this team did that, and this team got out of Eastern Washington okay. And you you hope they get to a point where they're good enough to not get in close games to begin with at all. But I think this team is doing what that 2019 team couldn't after the 2018 championship. They just couldn't close out games. This team can, and it serves them well if there's going to be a lot of close games this season that they know how to get out of the uh, make the big plays at the end that matter most. Uh, and Mikey, while had some shortcomings against Eastern Washington, did deliver some big drives late in the game. And that's a big tell for what could come this season because there's not a lot of great opponents on the schedule, but plenty that are going to make things tight for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely going to be one of those years. Um, uh, but unlike the past where the if the Bulldogs went into overtime, and really struggling against the team, they typically would have lost back in the past. They figured out a way to come out on top, just like they did against Purdue. And that, to me, is a change of direction as far as the mentality it takes for these Bulldogs to finish out games, even when things aren't going right for them. Um, and so they've just kept finding a way to win. So hopefully there's a lot of that for the Bulldogs, but hopefully there's <laughs> not... Well, hopefully there's a lot of that, but hopefully there is not a lot of that. <laughs> Get what I'm saying, Jackson? Yeah. <laughs> um, right now, what we need is the Bulldogs to, to, to come out on top, but come out on top decisively, not having these close games. This is now two back-to-back close games. Do you foresee a third back-to-back-to-back close game, Jackson? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think this game can go in that direction. And, <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of feeling like this game could be kind of what we thought Purdue was going to be, where it was just a, kind of low scoring and obviously close to nature from that side of things. I think the Bulldogs defense is going to be, I think they're going to make a leap here in this game. And I think that they're going to be able to take advantage of Arizona State's O-line issues. And I think the Sun Devils will come up with a couple of big plays to get points on the board, but not anything like what we've seen the last couple of weeks. And on the flip side, you know, I, I think there's going to be stuff on film for Arizona State to give Fresno State problems for the Bulldogs offense, but I feel like we're going to see more of what we saw against Purdue than all the three and outs and quick punts that we saw last week, Um, but it's probably going to be a lot of field goals for the Dogs and um, probably not a ton of points either, so I'm feeling like this is going to be a game that ends up in the 20s and could be close, but I think Fresno State pulls this one out again, and um, then hopefully they come back home and give us two blowout wins to watch. And that's when things get real after those first five games and they start to play the the more decent teams in conference play. And we'll see what happens at that point. Absolutely. And uh, we're right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of those teams from the conference and find out how they fared this past week. And uh, let's just say uh, some of them didn't fare as well as the Bulldogs did. So (laughs) um, let's start off. There was the matchup with UNLV versus Michigan. This was one that we kind of figured it was going to end up the way it did. Michigan came out on top 35 to seven. San Jose State took out Cal Poly 59-3. to uh, Wyoming took on Portland State, came out victorious 31-17. to uh, Nevada, 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 fell, <laughs> fell short to Idaho 33-6. to 
they got dominated. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, if that's an indication of where Nevada is right now, they lose to Idaho. Idaho, out of all teams, a team that has not really been too successful in the last few years, uh, really dominated that game against Nevada. So that just tells you right there where Nevada is at in their state of their football program. Now, next, the Boise State Broncos took on UCF and came up just short, 18-16. to 16. Jackson, I know that was one that we were kind of going to be gauging to see where Boise was at. What do you think uh, came uh, came out of that game? Yeah, Boise State's offense played about the way I thought they would. They didn't <laughs> do much, and they even went with their second quarterback for a while. They only put up 16 points, but what surprised me was how good their defense played. I thought UCS offense was going to be able to score 30-plus and win convincingly, and that didn't happen. In fact, the play that won them the game was a 55-yard field goal that they had to kick in just to beat the Broncos. So this could have very easily been a Boise State win. I got a lot more respect for them after the way this game went compared to Washington. So I think UCF's pretty solid, um, but still a lot of question marks on offense. It's still a team that's got a lot of question marks for someone that was picked as the favorite for conference play. I'm still not quite buying that right now, and you know, we'll see if they do get it figured out by the time they show up to Fresno. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, one to keep an eye on because that that right now puts Boise, uh, I believe, at 0-2 on the season. Uh, not a too familiar place for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, first but, time since 05. But, but I'm kind of liking it. <laughs> so uh, we'll, just, uh, we'll just leave it there. Uh, the next game, uh, of course, was San Diego State took on UCLA. They ended up losing 35-10. to 10. I know that's another game we were kind of keeping an eye on because we always like to know where San Diego State falls into the mix. What's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, they didn't keep it very close at all. They also, um, you know, after having a bit of a revival at quarterback with Jalen Maiden, he threw three picks in this game. So um, they, they only ran the ball for 63 yards on 33 carries. I feel like they tried to go in a different direction on offense, and it's not working right now. Uh, they still may be better than a lot of teams in the Mountain West, and that this game will not be something that's commonplace on their schedule. They do have to play Oregon State this week, and so I think that's going to be another blowout loss. But um, the other thing that was that the Aztecs didn't even sell out this game uh, in their 35,000-seat stadium. They got 32,000. The turnstile was reported at 26,000. And that's with UCLA fans from just down the road being able to buy tickets for this game. So the fact that Fresno State, Eastern Washington drew like 10,000 more people than UCLA, San Diego State, I think tells you all you need to know about college football landscape right now and how the Bulldogs should be valued. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that it, even uh, UCLA's fans would have would have gone in droves just to go take a yeah. vacation in San Diego, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, if if anything, they're they're just going to go in and take a little small vacation while they're there. But that didn't happen. So, yeah, um, that does tell a lot about what's going on. Now, talking about telling a lot about what's going on, Jackson, Air Force taking on Sam Houston and only winning thirteen to three. I mean, yeah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, you know, Sam Houston. I think they're got a a more competitive team than people realize uh, they're still new to FBS, but they do some things that get teams uncomfortable. Even the week before they lost to BYU only 14 to zero uh, at BYU too. Um, so I think this is going to be kind of a theme for uh, what Sam Houston state is going to do to teams. And 
I still, you know, want to see what Air Force does in the coming weeks to really get a good feel of what they are. But I think this is one of those games that's tough to translate to the rest of the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it just kind of shows you where these Division Two teams are right now these days. Uh, they are playing tougher than people uh, realize, and they are better than what people realize. So, uh, hats off to that uh, to the Division Two teams right now. They're they're surprising the hell out of me now. So, um, but moving on, you've got Idaho State, or actually Utah State took on Idaho State, and uh, Jackson. Either Utah State is that good, or they are, <laughs> or Idaho State is that bad. Um, I I don't know which one is, but they came out on top, seventy eight to twenty eight on this one. Um, I don't, I don't know what concerns me more: they were able to score seventy eight points, or that the fact that they gave up twenty eight points to Idaho State. <laughs> so, so what do you got, Jackson? Yeah, now the week before Idaho State lost thirty six to twenty eight to San Diego State, so it would appear that they that offense may be pretty legit, and that that defense may be really bad, but. Utah State is one of those teams that, you know, are they good enough, improved enough from the last year to give Fresno State problems when that game comes around? Um, I'm seeing some of those teams on the schedule, the Utah States, the Wyomings, the UNLVs. Are these games that Fresno State should be able to handle pretty easily or are they games that are going to be a lot tougher? And right now, Wyoming and Utah State on the road looks like a pretty tall task the way that they're playing. So definitely keeping a close eye on those two teams in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Utah State is definitely going to be one of those teams that uh, Fresno State is going to keep an eye on with this new setup for the conference championship. Uh, Utah State has always been a, one of those teams nearly usually at the top, so uh, definitely one team to keep an eye on moving forward. Next on the uh, matchups was New Mexico State. They took on Tennessee Tech. They came out on top 56-10. to 10. Uh, typically New Mexico has last few years have been at the bottom of the mountain West. Does this kind of indicate that New Mexico is finally starting to, to turn things around or was just Tennessee tech that bad? Yeah, I think Tennessee Tech's a, a pretty bad team. They, <laughs> they lost uh, about similarly to another FCS school the week prior. So, and, and New Mexico really got tossed around by Texas A&M the week before. So, uh, the Lobos do have some winnable games coming up. They play New Mexico State. They play UMass. So, you know, they could be two and two, three and one going into conference play, but I still think they're a pretty, pretty bad team. <laughs> now the last game of course that the, happened last week was Hawaii uh taking on Albany um and you were in attendance no you were not in attendance cuz you were here with me um you uh, this is one of those teams that you do cover uh quite often is Hawaii and uh what's your take on this 31 to 20 win over Albany Yeah I was in Hawaii last week and when I left the Stanford game they lost um by two scores I felt like, well, okay, they're playing Albany next week, so they'll bounce back and they'll get that win. And then Albany last week, they led Marshall like the whole game until the very end. They they should have won that game, and they really blew it. So I expected this one to be tight, and it was. Even though Hawaii won by 11, they didn't really knock them out with that last score until the last about three, four minutes. So I'm not surprised that was a close game at all. Albany's a, got a good team, and uh, they gave Hawaii everything they could handle. And Thankfully, Hawaii got that W because now they go to Oregon. They're like 38-point underdogs this week. 
Yeah, so that's gonna be yeah, that's gonna be interesting to see where everything lands out. So so after last week's game, uh, the conference standings right now um, put Air Force, Fresno State, Wyoming, the only three teams at the top undefeated so far uh, this season in the conference uh, or overall. So Air Force, Fresno State, Wyoming, uh, followed by San Diego State at two and one, and then of course you've got um, New Mexico, UNLV, and Utah all at one and one. Hawaii at one and two, along with San Jose State one and two. Then you've got Colorado State, Boise State, and Nevada all without a win. <laughs> <laughs> the three teams that normally you see at the other end of the conference Jackson and they're all at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be interesting heading into this week. And of course, uh, here are the matchups for this week. Um, we've got Boise state taking on North Dakota, uh, San Diego state taking on Oregon state. That is one of the key matchups that you already mentioned. UNLV takes on Vanderbilt. Uh, San Jose state takes on Toledo. Hawaii takes on Oregon. Wyoming takes on Texas, New Mexico State takes on New Mexico, Colorado State taking on Colorado, uh, Fresno State, of course, heading to Arizona State, and then you've got Kansas, uh, Nevada taking on Kansas State, or not Kansas State, Kansas. And so, Jackson, uh, listening to all of those, who are your key matchups this week that will eventually let us a little bit, let us know a little bit more about this conference? Yeah, um... You know, a lot of lopsided matchups in the non-conference. Uh, I mean, Wyoming going to Texas, that'll be interesting to see how close they keep it. They're four touchdown underdogs, even after they beat Texas Tech earlier in the, the season. Um, Colorado State's going to be in that college game day game where they're all going to be in Boulder to celebrate Coach Prime for everything that's been going on. So uh, they're also 23-point underdogs. Nevada at home, even to Kansas, a team you usually don't think much about that has gotten a lot stronger over the last year. They're huge underdogs. So um, not a whole lot there to take away from. I look at UNLV hosting Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's only four point underdogs. And um, I think they're beatable for a team like the rebels. And we'll see if UNLV um, what they're made out of after you know playing an FCS school and one of the nation's best. Now they have more of a, a peer opponent here. So I'm curious to see what they look like. I, I got a hunch that they're going to be tougher than we expect by the time they come to town in late October for the Bulldogs and even the Boise state, North Dakota matchup. Um, it's not North Dakota state now, but North Dakota is two and O and they've been playing pretty good football. Um, they just totally blew out the two FCS teams that they've already faced. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that game is competitive. I would be stunned if Boise state lost, but it may be another one where you point at to say, Hey, uh, these teams are better than we realize maybe right now. Um, one big one in the conference that I'm, of course, going to be keeping an eye on is San Jose State at Toledo. That one is um, the Rockets are favored by a touchdown here. and It's a chance for San Jose State to kind of rebound. They had to play Oregon State and USC out of the gates. Up next, they got to play Boise State and Air Force. So, I mean, this could be a, a win that goes a long way for bull eligibility or more to, to pull this one off at Toledo. So that's a big one for them. I mean, they would be just dreading life if they're stuck at one and five after these next three games, which could happen. Um, but the Friday game is the one that means the most. I mean, Air Force is hosting Utah State for the first actual conference game. 
And uh, again, I want to see what Utah State's made out of. Are they for real? I want to see what Air Force is made out of. Even though they're not on Fresno State schedule, they're a team that you know, could be a conference championship game type of matchup if they can get through Boise State and Utah State and those types of teams. So um, that's going to be a big one to learn about those two teams for sure. Um, right now, Fresno State, while the non-conference doesn't count for the conference standings, it does have a lot to do with who hosts the conference championship game if there's not a, tie, a head-to-head tiebreaker. And right now the Bulldogs having some top 25 votes are – leading the pack for, as far as that goes. So right now, Fresno State's in as good of a place as you can ask for, but uh, it's about to get real in conference play here not too long for some teams uh, this weekend even. Yeah, I think my key matchups, again, uh, looking at what's on the schedule here, I would say that Boise State game, if North Dakota somehow comes out and 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 takes control of this game and even wins this game, then that to me is an indication that that Boise State game that Fresno State will have with them is an even much more winnable game (laughs) than previously anticipated. Uh, The next one that I think would be a key matchup, San Diego State, Oregon State, uh, that this will kind of not just say where San Diego State is as far as a football team, but also where Oregon State and their mindset after being decimated down to a Pac-2 team, um, <laughs> on whether or not they still think they're better than the Mountain West. Uh, so that kind of is a, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on that game. Do I want San Diego State to beat Oregon <laughs> State to tell Oregon State, hey, get off your high horse and come over to the Mountain West? Or do I just want Oregon State to beat San Diego State because I really don't care for them? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings, Jackson. Um, the next one, of course, I think. Uh, well, you want let's let's take the UNLV game. I mean, UNLV has been showing uh, signs that they have been improving the last few years. Um, should they take? Should they win over Vanderbilt? Does that? show another level of them kind of moving up the ladders, so to speak, Jackson. Um, that's that's kind of one that I'm kind of concerned about as well. Yeah, I think it does. And not so much that the Vanderbilt win itself would be huge, but just the thought that it felt like they got momentum last year. Well, remember, even in November, they, I mean, Fresno State had to do a lot to win that game 38-30 in Vegas. Um, I, I think that when UNLV split ways with Coach Arroyo, it felt like all the momentum they had gathered would just had gone out the window and they were starting from scratch. And uh, Coach Odom over there, I think, has, has put together a better staff and a better team and retained some of their stars in a way I, I didn't think they would. And I think they may be you know, pick, kind of picking up where they left off last season and that Vanderbilt game would just be kind of confirmation of that if they can get that win, that they're as good as they were last year or better. And of course, if they don't perform very well against Vanderbilt, then you kind of assume that, that they do have more work cut out for them like we initially thought they would. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I'm kind of uh, – that's why I'm intrigued by that matchup, just to see where UNLV stands. If Even if they were to lose but they keep it close, to me that's signs of improvement for UNLV um, um, against a Vanderbilt team that, honestly, I don't know much about, so I really don't know how tough they're going to be. <laughs> So yeah, you know they, they've gotten a lot better the last year. Or so uh, they had a coaching change. They're still <laughs> one of the weaker SEC schools, but uh, I mean they put up what I think five wins last year, and they're already two and one this year. So um, 
they're, they're much more formidable. Um, it was a game before you would think you could steal a true group of five school, but uh, they're a little more power five ish right now than they used to be. Yeah. And, and so moving on to the next one that I think is also uh, going to be intriguing. And uh, I agree with you, San Jose state Toledo. Um, I think San Jose state really needs this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. They really need this one in order to uh, establish themselves as a potential candidate for the mountain West conference championship. Should they lose to Toledo? I think that's going to hurt them quite a bit, uh, especially for bowl eligibility. So I, this is an important one for San Jose state. Granted, you know, we don't really care for San Jose State much here, so go Toledo. <laughs> um, uh, the next matchup, again, I think that is going to be an important one, is going to be that Wyoming and Wyoming-Texas game. Uh, should Wyoming keep this one close or even manage to pull this one off, that's going to be a huge concern for the Bulldogs as Wyoming has been showing that they are a lot better than people think they are. <laughs> Uh, am, am, am I off Jackson? I mean, they're definitely better than I thought they were going to be, but Texas are coming off of an Alabama win. I, I don't know. Uh, well, many, uh, many uh, teams could it, handle the Longhorns it, right now. It's a trap <laughs> game for Texas. I'm telling you that, that that's true too. It's a trap game. You know, they're, they're coming off a high against, against, uh, you know, winning against Alabama and here comes a very good Wyoming team, and if they play like the Bulldogs played against Eastern Washington, <laughs> they're they're going to have a problem. <laughs> so that I wouldn't completely write off Wyoming. If Wyoming can just put together a good enough game plan and give Texas fits all day long, even if they were to lose close, that is going to be a uh, a, a point of concern for the Bulldogs, uh, this Wyoming team, uh, for a Mountain West conference championship so i think they are going to be in the mix at the end of the year uh so this is definitely a team that we'll have to keep an eye on uh, throughout the year now new mexico state new mexico nah no nah, move on um <laughs> colorado state colorado uh, if if this was the colorado state that we've seen the last couple of years then yeah i would be all over this game being one of the key matchups, but I don't see it happening, especially with the the type of fanfare that Colorado is receiving right now. Granted, Colorado State could come in with a chip on its shoulder, uh, basically telling everybody, hey, uh, you guys are all paying attention to Colorado. Look at us. But I don't think I see that happening, Jackson. I just am. I don't think they have enough firepower for them. Well, I, I'm, you know, I, am I off? You you know them better than I do, but I don't think they do. Yeah, I, I haven't been as high on Colorado State as a lot of people have, and I mean Colorado's so much better than we ever anticipated they would be in year one with <laughs> Coach Prime. So I think this one is, is going to be very lopsided, and it's not going to be a good spot for Colorado State to be in the spotlight here either. And uh, and we're not even going to touch the Nevada Kansas game. Um, it, it, two of these, both of these teams. <laughs> they don't interest me at all. <laughs> so um, it is not going to be one of those that I'm even going to care who wins that one. Um, you know, granted, uh, and Nevada loss is always a good loss. Uh, so if Nevada loses this one, I'm not going to be heartbroken over it. Uh, but yeah, I know there's people out there that they're always tell me that I should be rooting for Mountain West Conference uh, teams <laughs> to win. Um, no. 
I, I don't think that way. I just think that if if there are uh, our rivals, uh, they need to go down. They need to go down hard. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, this is going to be it's going to be an interesting week to watch. A lot of key games uh, to to happen here. I think next week is the beginning of conference play. Right? No, not quite yet. Right, Jackson. Um. So we've got the one. Utah State at Air Force game this week. And then next Friday, it's going to really get going with San Jose State hosting Air Force and San Diego State hosting Boise State both next Friday. Um, so Friday Night Lights is, uh, means Mountain West play in late September, apparently. Uh, and then the following week, uh, week five, is when pretty much everyone's hitting conference play and the Bulldogs will have their first game against Nevada. Yeah, so it's it, things are gonna so conference play will kind of begin next week, not for the Bulldogs, but for some of the Mountain West teams. So things are gonna start to heat up starting next week, but they all have to make it through this week uh, unscathed, and uh, I don't see that happening to too many of these teams. <laughs> so um, things are 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 gonna start to heat up a little bit, and thing. Uh, the news is going to start coming out more uh, fast and furious for you. So stay tuned for these podcasts as we continue to, you know, just lay it all on the line, you know, give our opinions on this stuff. Cause what else do we have to do? Right, Jackson. <laughs> 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 but uh, that being said, Jackson, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Yeah. Head to barkboard.com. We've got a lot of coverage from the weekend's game, this past weekend's game, as far as the behind the scenes notes and insider scoop. We've got in depth analytics about what happened in that game against Eastern Washington. If you haven't seen that, we've got over 40 recruits we confirmed were in attendance. A big group of recruits were on hand for that sold out game against Eastern Washington. And of course, we're already pretty deep into Arizona State week. Um, we've got some previews going on that. We've got news from practice, injury notes, and some position battles that are going on right now, even before this third game. Uh, I've had some interviews with Devin Rivers. So that one's up on the page for VIP members. We're also going to have interviews with Cameron Bracca and Kavika Baumgartner. I really enjoyed, you know, now's the time of year that certain players who are new to the program that are playing their first game are now available for us to interview. So have a lot of fun telling some of the stories of the new players that we haven't heard yet at this time of year. And, then we'll have our big in-depth breakdown, our, our mega report, as we call it, uh, where we'll take about 2,000 words just breaking down the Bulldog offense versus the ASU defense and then the defense against the offense again later in the week. So if you're not already a VIP member, make sure to head to barkboard.com. It's just a dollar for your first month to try it out, or you can get a whole year for 30% off. And um, join us along for the ride. It's already been a heck of a, a ride for these first two weeks of the season. And our VIP subscribers have been following along ever since signing day, the spring camp, the fall camp. We've had them covered and uh, we'll continue to do so throughout the year. Now, Jackson, you hit upon one point that I, I kind of wanted to point out here is that you said there was over 40 recruits for Fresno State here at home in this last home game. And I'm starting to pick up on what Fresno State's trying to do to us. They're, they're starting to try and confuse us, Jackson. They're, they're bringing in as many recruits as they can every single game to try and hide who they're actually recruiting. <laughs> so it, it's, it's making it a little difficult. Haven't you noticed this, Jackson? I mean, because we used to go from like 
15, 20 recruits come in on the field and we were easily able to identify them. Now it's like 40, 50, 60 recruits and we're like sitting there going, what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah we were able to get the names of like 45 of them, but you just hope that the 46th or 47th guy we missed wasn't a big one. So. Exactly. <laughs> They're definitely, it's a little gamesmanship going on with Bulldogs right now. They they realize that we were on top of it trying to report as many recruits that are there. And then, so they're just, they're just trying to overload us. That's what's happening. You know, it's a conspiracy, but that's where I'm going with that one. Um, But that being said, if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at RedWaveReport. Go over to our Facebook page and give it a like. And also, if you haven't uh, done so already, head over to TheBarkBoard.com where we have both free and premium subscriptions. But again, the premium subscription is where you want to be. And uh, if, if you want to know more about it, you can always reach out to Jackson. He will give you a little bit more uh, on what uh, kind of perks you will get and, uh, and, and just become a member of our community. It's, it is a great community and a lot of people talk in there and they keep things to themselves as it should be. <laughs> so uh, that being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics.